Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And leads are in motion for the first time with Harrison. Harrison attacks the left edge of the town box. Now he's crossed. Far post. Ailing arriving. Goal is United. A volley off the underside of the bar from Luke Ailing. Welcome to Off the Var, brought to you by the Art and Know Better podcast. I'm joined today by Luke. How are you, Luke? Not too bad, Carl. How's things, mate? Not too bad at all. I'm buzzing after the game yesterday now, which is absolutely still in the back of my head. Um, and we have a special uh, guest on the show today. It's FAI League of Ireland referees assessor Jimmy Blake. Uh, he's going to be on, hopefully, on a weekly basis and, and give us a, an assessment of how the referee got on and his opinion on different decisions that went either way and uh, hopefully get a bit of an insight into the, the mind of a referee rather than us just sitting there slating them on a daily basis. Uh, so, Jimmy, um, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief uh, background as to how you got to where you are in the FAI and, and, and your, your, your referee in history, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, my name is Jimmy Blake. Uh, I live in the west coast of Ireland. I was a referee for 35 years with the Football Association of Ireland. Uh, back in 2009, uh, you remember my late wife, Marion, who was also an English girl from Birkenhead, she died suddenly. And around that time I was approached by uh, one of my mentors, a lovely chap, God rest him, by the name of Willie Bradley, who was a former UEFA and FIFA referee. Uh, Willie approached me and he asked me would I come on board as a referee observer. I thought about it for a while and I decided yes, I'll come on board. So for 12 years I've been assessing referees uh, at matches. Now, the job of a referee assessor is not to train referees as such is but to go to a game, uh, take notes during the 90 minutes of the game. Uh, after the game is over, pop into the dressing room, uh, sit with the referees, discuss the 90 minutes and any issues that they would have or any issues you would have about their performance. And that it's not to 
you know, be negative or to slay for it, it's to be positive, to try and improve the performance. That's basically uh, what it is. To upgrade referees to grade one status is a different grading system here in Ireland as uh, in other parts of Europe, like in, in England. So uh, that's part of my job is to upgrade referees as to how uh, I think they would perform at a higher grade than that. So basically, that's what I do. Karen. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. That's, uh, that's good insight, Jimmy. appreciate that. Um, We'll, uh, we'll we'll go on to the game now. Yesterday, um, I'm not sure anyone would know on the podcast, but Jimmy has been a lifelong Leeds United fan like myself, and he was a good friend of my dad. So he uh, he's he's been watching the Whites now for Jesus longer than I can probably remember. Like so, um, what we'll do is uh, we're we're all a bit excited about the result yesterday, but we're going to talk about the man in the middle today, um, and uh, we're just going to get a bit of an insight into some of the decisions that went uh, our way and didn't go our way. And Jimmy is going to kind of give us his breakdown of the assessment of the referee and, and Luke if you have any questions during it feel free to jump in and ask Jimmy away there he's he's here to help Jimmy certainly if you, you wouldn't mind me sorry sorry Luke sorry yeah I was just saying I certainly will mm-hmm. sound sound Jimmy um, if you wouldn't mind maybe uh, the first half what was uh, kind of the talking points from a referee's perspective uh, that, that you would have looked at coming into the, the, the end of the half and, and throughout the first half well, sometimes, you know, we can be very critical of the referees and their overall performance in the game. But with the exception of VAR, it caused a lot of difficulties, a lot of issues and problems for referees. It has taken away, really, from the referee's ability to make decisions on the, on the pitch. So let's get that out of the way for us. VAR has done nothing to help the game other than cause severe controversy throughout the game. I thought his performance in the first half yesterday was very, very good. Uh, he allowed a lot on both sides, you know, tackles that normally other referees I thought would have pulled for on that. Uh, the issue of yellow cards was warranted and that it took him a while before he actually reacted to uh, issue on a few other cards. His overall performance, his fitness level uh, was very, very good. He seemed to be not too far away from the play. Uh, was, now, obviously, we can't hear what he's saying to the players, but it appeared that when he was talking to players, like, you know, he wasn't talking them down, that he was talking to them, which is a very, very positive thing for a referee. Some referees, you know, think that they are bigger than the game, that the game you know, beneath them. But he didn't. He came across uh, as the type of look that, you know, a player could go to. Now, there was issues where uh, I had where players were very vocal towards him. Maybe I felt he could have dealt with it a little bit better on that. But I think his demeanour showed them that he just wasn't interested in listening to whatever they had to say or whatever. Just get on with the game. I'm here to do a job. You're here to do a job. Overall, I thought the first half, he had a fantastic performance. I don't think anyone could uh, fault his performance. Yeah. What, what did you make of it, Luke, in the first half yourself? Yeah, absolutely agree. I thought Chris Chris Kavanagh was, was spot on yesterday in his performance as a referee. I don't think he put much wrong. Um... I think I think he let the game flow, as you rightly say. Uh, played, ref the game in, in a relatively positive light. There didn't seem to be much. There was no sort of crowding the referee with bag tackles. Great example was the Liam Cooper challenge, which was an absolutely fantastic challenge, by the way. Um, and Perez just got up and carried on playing. There was none of that. Luke, yeah, he obviously had the respect. Can I come in there, Luke, with, with regards to that tackle? Other referees would have viewed that, 
you know, different, I feel. And uh, But, you know, I remember having a, a drink with Johnny Giles a couple of years back, and we were discussing, you know, the, the likes of the Ronaldos and the Messis. And I always remember what he said to me, Jimmy, he says, if Norman Hunter, he says, tackled one of those players, he says, they wouldn't be rolling around. But I thought it was a great decision on that. But some other referees may have viewed it that, you see, the criteria for free kicks is what degree of force was put into the tackle and that. Was it dangerous? There was nothing dangerous about it, but there was an element of force Mm. uh, involved in it. Now, that can actually be penalised. It can actually warrant a card. But he did make full contact with the ball, and the player was second. He didn't follow through uh, where he brought the player down. The player was actually brought down by the force of the ball going from under him, and that. And it was a brilliant uh, decision by Chris Cabinet to wave play on. Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there was some of the decisions in the first half where there might have been one or two we were kind of looking at. There was maybe I think there was one on was the one on Dallas and on, on the edge of the the on the on the the sideline. And uh, he got absolutely walloped and then he didn't get a free kick for it. And then at about 30 seconds later, there was one where it was pretty much the same as what Dallas had just done. But yeah, yeah. then uh, I think I, I think it was a four-fan, four or is it? Or... Four-fan. The Dallas incident, uh, mm. he, he actually, he looked, it reminded me a little bit of Jack Grealish, who some referee you know, is going to have to put a stop to what Grealish is doing, bringing fouls on. And uh, and I thought Dallas looked for it. But you have to look at the contact. There wasn't much contact in that. He, he knew that the player was behind him. He knew that if he went down, he was going to get a free kick. So I think Chris Cavan was 100% right in Leon because he went down too easily and that and with minimal contact. There's a lot of that at the moment. We call it we we call it sort of famously the alien flop, and and Leeds Leeds players were doing it quite a lot yesterday. But there's a lot of it in the modern game. They sort of feel a touch on the back, and they think that warrants them the right to win a free kick. Um, mm. And it's very much sort of protecting the attackers. Uh, in, in my, and often the defenders. I mean, he's alien a defender, but but the player with the ball at the feet often gets protected a lot more than the player without. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, Luke, uh, and that's why I said previously that you know Jack Grealish is a master at it, and a referee has got to have a look. And VAR is also, if we're going to have VAR in the end, they also have to look at uh, what he, he he does. You know, he, he every game he goes out, he circumvents the laws to suit himself, which is totally illegal. You can't do that. So a referee is going to have to have the courage and give him the yellow card for his antics and that. And if referees have the courage to do that, then it's going to cut an awful lot out of this kind of thing. Referees, players will know. You just don't do it and you're not going to get away with it. Yeah, well, um, and, uh, if we go on to the second half, Jimmy, there's, um, just before we get into the ref's uh, uh, performance in the second half, I was thinking with the, uh, the penalty decision um, where... Cooper and who was it that he was battling with? I can't quite remember. Was it? I think was it for Fafana? Was it him? Yeah, yeah. For, uh, yeah, for Fana, um, yeah. Mike Mike Dean was in the uh, the VAR uh, yesterday, and he took an awful long time to decide whether it was going to pay a penalty or not. What was his thought process behind making that decision? Because was it 
six of one and half a dozen of the other, or was he looking for something specific to to try and give it? Well, if you go back a couple of seasons ago, UEFA made a decision with regards to corner kicks and free kicks outside the area that the Poland Dragon was going to have to stop and it was to be penalised by a penalty. Now, the first referee, strangely enough, to act upon that was Mike Dean. He was the first referee to get a penalty for Poland and Dragon right. in the area. Now, he was 100% right to have a look at it. But it was six of one and a half, just know the other. Both of them were pulling and dragging out of each other. It would have been totally wrong to right. give a penalty for that. But both of them had their hands in one another and that. So you, you have to make a decision on that. When the when the player goes down in a situation like that, referee has got to make up his mind what kind of contact uh, was was he pushed, was he dragged, was he assaulted? No, both players were pulling and dragging. Four four went down looking for a penalty. My team was hundred percent right. Right, okay. Because uh, it, it just it was a bit funny that he he chose not to give that penalty, but he also chose to give the offside against Palace when he was in the uh, VAR room, which is is strange because well that that, that uh, offside and you know I I looked at it over and over again and I remember a discussion with Peter Walton uh, on BT Sports uh, about that incident and they they got it wrong. There's no question about it. They got it absolutely totally wrong. There was a similar one. There was a similar one the other day with Danny Ings, weren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that the Danny Ings one, uh, you have to look at his position. Uh, the offside law stays clear, and this is where the Premiership is creating some controversy with VAR and with their own uh, dealings with issues like that. Ings made an attempt to play the ball, and if a player is in an offside position, and a defender plays the ball and it comes off him, then you're entitled to challenge for it. You're not interfered with play. You would only be interfered with play. If you go back, uh, there was a recent one uh, in the Italian league with Ronaldo where he right. came from an offside position and when a player uh, received the ball, yeah, he tackled the player that was in receipt of the ball. Now, he came from an offside position. The player that was in receipt of the ball hadn't lost the ball. He was still in position off the ball. So therefore, Ronaldo was in, came from an offside position and got actively involved in play. Whereas Ings won, he made an attempt to play the ball. The ball came off him. So the player was entitled to uh, make a, a play for the ball, which is within the, the laws of the game. Now, they have recently decided that they were going to tweak the offside laws. It's just, it's mind-boggling to see some of the uh, assistant referees and the ways that they deal with the offside. You know, maybe a minute after a play, the flag was up absolutely totally wrong. You guys wouldn't remember the sense of the I remember a long, long time ago, I think it was Derby County that actually won the uh, title that year. Leeds United played Wolverhampton Wanderers. And the last day to Clary at the time, it didn't make a bit of difference where you are in the pitch. If you were in an offside position, you were offside. There was a Wolves player uh, on one side of the pitch, about three or four yards in an offside position. The referee allowed play to go on. As a result, Legion United lost the Dillisman title uh, over that incident. Now, you know, I'm sure you could Google this. There was ructions after the game. Some elderly people come on the pitch and they went to their anger towards the, the officials. Uh, it was the wrong decision. It should have been ruled offside. But for assistant referees, and I feel sorry for them because they're told to wait 
Now, how long do you have to wait? If a player gets the ball, touches the ball, if they're in an offside position, then the flag should go up because they yeah. become what they call active. So to wait you know, a minute or two until the ball is crossed maybe in the back of the night before you put the flag up, it, it, it's just ridiculous. But I do know through uh, the instructions that we get from UEFA that they are going to tweak the, the laws, they're going to change them around a little bit at the end of the season. You've obviously made your, your, your opinions on VAR. Would we miss it then if a decision went against us and they scrapped it? Well, you know, the one of the things that I've been saying about VAR, and I'm sure it's the same, you know, in uh, pubs through the width and breadth of England, the same it is in Ireland. You lose that little bit of interest, that little bit of contact with, you know, the person you're having a jar with. The debate has gone out the window with regards to was he offside? Was it a penalty? You know, yeah. that's all gone. You don't have that contact now, you know, because of VAR. I think VAR has uh, destroyed the game. I don't think it should ever have been brought in. VAR have got it <laughs> wrong as many times as uh, officials got it wrong without VAR. So <laughs> what benefit is it other than holding the game up? You know, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. We're fortunate here in Ireland. We don't have it, and we're not going to use it in the League of Ireland. And and rightly so. I've seen incidents in the League of Ireland games where I'd say, you know, well, if Bear was here, it would have been a different decision. And that itself, then, when we'd be having a jar, created a debate, you know, yeah. about the game. Yeah. And the thing about you would know, Carl, that the League of Ireland is not as popular as the Premiership. Is in Ireland. Premiership like is very popular in Ireland and even the championship. But because we don't have our people are watching uh, yeah. League of Ireland now because it's creating debate. But we don't have that anymore, you know, from the Premiership. Yeah. Yeah. Jean Massey uh, is a shining example of female uh, officials. She she's really stepped up these last couple of years, and I think she deserves a lot of credit, especially for the Perez, uh, Perez goal when he was uh, flagged as offside. I thought initially that that was a goal, but for her to spot that as offside, you got to give her a lot of credit for that particular decision. I think it, it, it just shows that no matter who you are, colour, creed or sex, you, you, if you're good at your job, you're good at your job. And she, she, she started to do a brilliant job, I think. What, what's your opinion on her, Jimmy? Do you think would she referee at any point or would she just stick to the, the assistant? Well, again, you know, uh, it's not really her. Well, it is her decision if she wants to change from to be an assistant referee. Of course, uh, I don't know if you ever came across him or heard it from Damien McGrath here in Ireland. Yeah, yeah I know but, Damien, yeah. yeah. I brought Damien into refereeing as a very young lad. He's a secondary school teacher. Uh, we got him into the School of Excellence. Now, Damien was trained as an assistant referee, it was his best attribute in the game, a fantastic assistant referee. He was the most decorated Irish official of all times. Uh, Chaplain McAllen Kelly, uh, who was on the FIFA panel for quite a number of years, had a fallen out with the FBI, but uh, had a big contract lined up in America with regards to training and uh, looking out for the referees in America. So it meant that Damien didn't have a referee of Ellen's stature to continue being involved with UEFA. But Damien was that good as an assistant referee that UEFA assigned him to uh, a Scottish group of officials who did World Cup qualifiers, uh, Champions League. I think his biggest game was uh, 
He done Real Bayern in Madrid, didn't he? Yeah, well, he's done. Damien has done quite a few of the top games. Uh, He was the the assistant, uh, number one assistant at Joro 16s. Uh, He he has done everything in the game. Now, he resigned his UEFA badge, and he's now number one referee in the Atristi League. And no doubt that uh, he will go on. Uh, not next season, but I think the season after where he will become one of the top officials in UEFA, uh, one of the top referees. But it's the ways that they're trained that they, she might want to be a referee, but the the premier people who looks after the officials might say, well, look, at your best is being an assistant and, that, mm-hmm. and we want you to actually stay as an assistant. But she actually referees, I think, in the National League and in League One. Yeah. Right. 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 She's done games at that level. All right, okay, that's great. If you were to score that refereeing performance yesterday from Chris Kavanagh, what would you give him out of 10? Well, I'd give him eight out of 10. I thought his overall performance was pretty good. Uh, he, as I said, his fitness level. Yeah, I remember one of my mentors said to me one time that a whistle is not for sucking on, it's for blowing on, <laughs> um, which is quite true. I thought, yeah, well, I thought he's used. Well, it's a strange thing, but a whistle can dictate an awful lot of what happens in the game by the different sounds, the ways the referee applies the the use of the whistle. And I thought Chris Cabinet did very, very well in that respect. I thought overall uh, he was very good. Uh, It was a lot of issues that he could have dealt with by cards and that, but he allowed the play to flow and he wasn't finicky bringing back play and stopping it. I mean, uh, I think it was in one of the games I watched the weekend where I just couldn't believe there was a couple of foul throws yeah, yeah. Uh, and for you know, to stop, you know. I mean, if a foul throw, if you don't take it from where the ball goes out, it's a foul throw. And I've seen players yesterday on both sides, you know, walking three or four yards up the pitch. And he was right, just let it go, get on with it. I thought he was very good overall. Fantastic, yeah. Welcome to In Off The Var, brought to you by the Or To Know Better podcast. I'm joined today by Smarty and our resident referee, Jimmy Blake. How are you doing today, boys? Well, well, good. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, we'll get straight into it. Jimmy, uh, just if you give us a bit of an analysis of the referee and uh, potentially what you would have you'd taken to him at half time to, to, to help him out or anything like that, you know? Yeah, just before I do, uh, Carl, I'd just like to say to anyone who will be listening to this, let's remember the 6th of February 1958 and all the, the footballers and personnel that lost their lives in this infamous uh, Munich disaster in 1958. So at 3pm today, let's all remember, you know, irrespective of who we support, we're all football people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Jimmy. Very, 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 uh, very echoing our sentiments as well, yeah. Uh, Michael Oliver, for me, is one of the better referees in the, the Premiership. He's a no-nonsense referee. But the things that he did on Wednesday night, some of the issues I'd have with him, uh, the Jack Harrison caution, the caution was correct. I have no argument uh, with, with the caution. But what happened immediately after the caution was something that uh, got up my nose. Uh, Harrison went into a tackle. Now, in fairness to Michael Oliver, he did allow for the conditions. Uh, the ground was pretty slippery and wet. But what happened when he went into the tackle, and he actually made contact with the ball, but his trailing leg he brought it up and fouled the 
So I have no issue whatsoever with that. But what happened immediately after that, I think it was with Matthias Klitsch, who was literally dragged back in, or just outside the area as he was defending. Yeah. There was no action taken there. So there was a little bit of inconsistency with some of his decisions. I thought that deserved a card because there was no attempt to play the ball whatsoever. Where in Harrison's case, there was an attempt to play the ball. ball. Now, it could, like, you could have easily just ignored it and let it go on, but it was a, a foul, it was an offence. But why didn't he punish the offender in the incident with uh, Matthias Kitch? I don't understand why he didn't, because it was a foul and it was a card for me. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Smarty, you have anything that you want to maybe elaborate on that there? No, I was just going to I was just gonna ask, uh, Barry, is it, is it hard to kind of maintain that consistency and, and try and be fair? Or do you do you often feel like sometimes a team might get away with something early on in the game and you may have to make up for it because you're trying to be fair, you know, later on in the game or stuff like that? Does it work like that or do you just try and maintain that consistency throughout? Well, look, I know that's been thought by a lot of pundits and a lot of people that a referee will give a penalty and he'll be damned to give, you know, to make up for it, to give the soft penalty, you know, to make up for it, to the opposite. That's totally untrue. You set your stall out at the start of the game with your officials, you discuss what's, you know, the plan for the day and that. And when you're in a dressing room with your officials, it's the, the referee, he dictates everything to the officials fourth official, the assistant, he will tell them anything in your area, flag for it. If I don't think it's a foul, I'll just give you the signal, drop the flag and that. Park it is what we use, the terminology we use is park it and move on to the next incident and that. But referees do not give a decision and then, you know, maybe a couple of seconds it's gone through their head and they make the wrong decision and that and try and make up for it. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. The assistant referees, they're all in tune with the referee. They know exactly what they have to do. If it does, and it, it will get into a referee's head thinking that maybe did he make an error in giving a wrong decision? But he will not make up for it. He certainly will not. He'll live with it and he'll get on with it. And that's the professionalism of the officials. I know they come in for a lot of abuse. And certainly my job as a referee observer, when I speak to officials after a game, I went to the dressing room. I don't go in at half time. You're not allowed in at half time. It's after the game is over. And I do know that you're, you give them 20 minutes or thereabouts to get their heads together and the thoughts together. And I do know that. You know, during that 20 minutes, they come up with <laughs> some fairy tales. And, you know, <laughs> I was there. I was in that position myself. So I know, yeah. like, all about it. Yeah. And that uh, you will lie, you know, to cover your ass. But overall, referees are honest and fair. And they, they do the best to their ability. Yeah. I what what I would you... you? Oh, sorry, mate. Um, no, no, no. Carry on, Smarty. I was just, I was just going to say, I think it's easy for people on the outside, like us fans, to assume that that, you know, would be the case. You know, I mean, a lot of people... I, I have over the years, especially in the in the championship, looked out for who's our who's refereeing our games because you think, oh yeah, he don't like leads and all that sort of stuff. Where you think that one of the um, <clears throat> a referee might have an agenda or whatever. But like you say, I think, I think most most referees are definitely very very professional. To be honest, yeah, you're right. Well, they don't referees like you know at junior level, uh, well, the senior league or the kind of senior league, and I referee my local team. Uh, I think three or four times a season and there was never an issue with me refereeing them because and even the opposition you know I never had an issue because we were fair we were there to do a job we were paid 
to do a job. And we did the job to the best of our ability. And everyone knew that. Now, there are some referees that can be a little bit incompetent when they're starting out nerves. You know, the big occasion, I don't know, it can be a very daunting place for any official to go to, the same as Old Trafford or any of the top club. So, you know, things like that can get into your head if it's your first major season. You can be a bit overawed by the occasion and that. But by and large, the referees after the season, you know, in the top flight, they just look down to it. And it just makes a bit of difference to Manchester United, Leeds United, or Liverpool, you know, Howard Webb, you know, social media. It was on a week in, week out. You know, we're at Manchester United. Howard Webb wasn't like that. Howard Webb for me was a good referee. Yeah. Irrespective of you know what people thought about him, he went out and did his job, and he didn't change the way he refereed. I know for the cop he made an absolute cock up in a couple of decisions. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that actually uh, uh, finished his career. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Graham Paul was another referee who uh, I thought was you know fairly good, but then he became you know, bigger than the game. He felt that he, you know, it was all about him. And Mike Dean, in many respects, can be like that. Yeah, yeah. It makes it a bit theatrical, doesn't it, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. he does. But he's not a bad referee, Mike Dean, I will no. say. But, you know, he, he likes to... Uh, he likes to spotlight a bit, doesn't he? He, he does, yeah. He does. <laughs> he does indeed. But also, like, you know, 99.9% of referees, well, they do a job. And they do it to the best of their ability. They are professionals and they are paid to do a job and they do it. And the other thing about it, they're under so much scrutiny now by the media. You know, they have to do it. There's no ways out of them. No. And Jimmy, just uh, briefly going back to the game, what, what would, if you were allowed in the, the dressing room, the referee's dressing room at half time, what, would, what advice would you have given him in relation to how he performed in the first half going out to the second half? Well, the first thing I would have said to him with regards to the Jack Harrison thing, uh, an explanation for the yellow card, even though it was very, very obvious and very plain to see, and why he didn't penalise the player. I'm not sure who it was that uh, pulled Clitch back, uh, uh, why he didn't penalise him. Mm. Jack Hamilton, as I said, it was a clear attempt to play the ball, where the other incident, it wasn't. And that's right. every day of the week, it's the other care. And why did he show that little bit of inconsistency? Now, some referees, you know, uh, don't like to show the other card very early in the game. But for me, the first card, I always remember, and I'm working myself in this, I always remember uh, I did the Oscar trainer final. You know, you remember the Oscar trainer final? Uh, and it was a Saturday night in Terryland Park in Galway. And I was so fortunate. One minute into the game, I had to bring out the yellow card. And I looked up to the skies and I never forget. And I says, thank you, Lord. The yellow card dictated the whole of the game. Because the players on both sides knew, this guy is not messing about. This guy is, you know, is going to do his job. And it was a great game of football. Yeah, you set the precedent from the get-go, haven't you? You've kind of laid the ground. And that's, I think, a failing in referees at all levels of football. Mm. They're kind of afraid to make that big decision. Because if you issue a yellow card in the first minute or so of the game, well, that player, you know, is on notice that he's got to be very careful for the remainder of the game. And he may commit a tackle where would be a yellow card 
But, uh, you know, if I give him the second yellow card, he's going to be sent off. And it, that can actually get into your mindset that, you know, it may be destroy the whole momentum of the game. But I think that's wrong. If the card is wanted, produce it. That's what it's there for. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, just going into the second half, um, the, the, if, if the ref was to take on your uh, your bits of information, do you think would he have followed that uh, a bit to the letter, Jimmy? You know, because you, you mentioned a few things there. Did you see anything that might have, issued, you know, might have said to you, well, he didn't really listen to what I said but at half time? First of all, Karen, <coughs> you don't talk to a referee at half time. You don't go into no, the I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, hypothetically you, speaking, hypothetically. Yeah, that what referees do at half time in a dressing room, uh, the officials and the referee they sit down and they discuss any issues that they had in the first half, any players that they need a watching out for in the second half, and they will go through all that. They will look at their notes to see who was cautioned and what players was cautioned, and then ask each other, as you know, why. Was this caution given? Would you have done it? So uh, they do discuss the game the, at half time. Now the second half, uh, there was one particular incident in it for me, which a lot of people would say, "Ah, oh, not to be silly, be stupid." The one thing that dictates the game of football, there's one instrument, and that's the whistle. Whistle starts and stops the game. When you blow that whistle. The game starts, you blow it to stop it. Rafina was absolutely dragged, pulled back. Now, the referee had blown the whistle on two occasions, but the defender kept pulling and dragging. Yeah. Therefore, for me, that should have been two yellows mm-hmm. and a red card. Yeah, because right. he didn't stop when the whistle had gone. From once he continued, from once he continued to hold on to the player's shirt, he was committing a second offence because the whistle on to stop the play and he didn't stop it. Well, that was a major issue in the game for me. Referees would look at it and say, oh, it'll be a very, very soft card. But it stops yeah. all that kind of nonsense. Gets rid of all that type of thing. As, uh, the first podcast we done, we spoke about pulling the dragon in the uh, box for corner kicks and things yeah. like that. And strangely enough, Mike Dean was the first referee to implement it when the... Uh, <coughs> The executive says this has to stop. Watch out for it. Award the penalty, and he does. Yeah. Uh, the, the executive then thought, well, you know, it was a bit harsh, so there's a dapping down and you know, turn a blind eye to it, and it, it has destroyed the game in so many ways. And that's down to the legislators, not down to the referees. It's down to the legislators because, you know, uh, we have a change in the law with regard substitutions today. I don't know if you heard about it or not. No. Well, well, for me personally, it's a good thing, but it's farcical in many ways. If uh, you're, you're not sure if you have your three substitutes for either side, okay? <clears throat> when a substitution has been made, there's a, there's a white card added to the fourth official with the name of the player that's been substituted and the player that's gone on. Now, for <clears throat> a concussion, there's a green card. You know, it takes maybe two or three minutes for the doctor to decide whether Karen or Smarty is concussed and they have to come off. Yeah. And the, you can bring two players on really? for two? concussion. Yeah. All right, but, all right, okay. Right. Is, uh, for no, two incidents, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, for two incidents. Now, this is where it gets a bit uh, complicated. The opposition are allowed 
to use two more substitutes to balance out the substitution. And so, that. The, so that team doesn't have no. an unfair advantage. Or so. unfair advantage. Yeah. Now, again, it gets a little bit more silly. The team that hadn't made the concussion substitution, but had made substitutions because the opposition had made the concussion substitutions. Now, just if we're say, they have concussion substitutions. The team right. that has already done it can bring a substitution, can change it around. So it, it's 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 going to be crazy, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's <laughs> I, I don't know whether people understand yeah. this. Uh, the laws of the game are dictated by the four home countries, Wales, Scotland, England and Northern Ireland. Yep. And, they more or less bring the, the laws to UEFA and FIFA. Right. But FIFA then have the final say in it, whether they're going to implement them, but it's very rare that they actually do. Now, the other thing, each league can implement their own laws. Right. The Premier League could introduce 10 substitutions if they want. And they could introduce, we'll say for cup football, they could introduce nine substitutions because it's their league, their runner. But the basic laws of the game, you know, on the on field are still the same. They cannot be changed. And the, but it's the legislators that mucks it up for referees. It's not referees that's mucking it up, it's the legislators. Yeah. And, and and that's why we, we wanted to get you on, Jimmy, because yeah. like yeah. from our perspective, we just look at a referee and go, well, he's biased or he's doing this or he's doing that. But to, to, to get the insight from yourself, uh, to understand the thinking and stuff, you know. I, I remember uh, talking to uh, one of my referees after coming back off uh, European duty, Champions League, and I remember, he, you know, he probably I'd say it was uh, during his time as a UEFA FIFA official. He probably was uh, the number one assistant referee uh, in Europe and far beyond. But I remember he was involved in the Barcelona game, and he gave a flag. Now, when I seen it in real time, I thought, wow, wow, Damien, absolutely, you know, you should have waited. But when they showed it back, he was 100% right. Mm -hmm. Now, there was no VAR or anything. He actually could have got away if he kept the flag down. But the reply that he gave me was that the difference between not putting the flag up and yeah. keeping it down could have been 20 million. Really? Yeah, could have been 20 million. That was... Barcelona going on to the next round and, that, and the television rights that they would be getting for it. And he's, that's the kind of pressure at yeah. level yeah. officials are under. But he was 100% correct in, in his decision that when he showed it back in slow motion. So referees are under so much pressure because of media and, uh, of course, now there, like, you know, has, has taken a lot away from the on pitch referee. Yeah. Do you, do you think has it put more pressure on the on-pitch referee having VAR? It has, but puts an awful lot more pressure on them and that. Uh, because referees, some decisions like the handball, I mean, they've tweaked the handball a bit. But referees don't want to be going back revisiting something that happened a minute previous. They just get on with the game. That's what they're there to do. There's incidents where the ball hits a player's hand uh, prior to VAR and no action will be taken that it's only if a, if a player's hand is extended from his body yeah alright uh, well, uh, a referee would give a, a penalty but because of VAR it has put you know, a 
lot of pressure on referees to make the decision. And, uh, you know, of course, VAR is forgotten two minutes after the decision is made. It's the referee that takes the brunt of the supporters when they're in the round. Yeah. Right. Have you any other questions there, Smarty? Um, I was just going to ask Jimmy, um, what's your interpretation of handball? I mean, I don't, as a fan, you know, you, you see re some referees will give it for certain scenarios or other certain scenarios, and then you'll have a rule change halfway through the season. And you see some referees give it, you see some referees that don't. Is it down to interpretation or is there an actual solid rule? Because we, we're getting mixed signals as fans, but we don't actually know what to well, Smarty, you're right in so far as is it down for interpretation. Yes, it is down for interpretation. One referee may view uh, a defender's arm was in an unnatural position and that he made a movement towards the ball. Uh, the natural instinct for a player to jump is to have his hand raised if he's going to hit a ball in a corner from a corner kick or any set piece. It's very hard to jump from a standing position without moving your arms. And that. Now, some referees, uh, if the ball hits his hand while it's in a natural position may view, he ne never made an attempt to deflect the trajectory of the ball, that the ball actually hit him and it's no penalty. Other referees will say, well, his hand shouldn't have been there in the first place. And that's where there's a little bit of inconsistency between referees and that. Uh, my understanding that uh, this coming next season, before the season starts, there will be more clarity on Right, handball and the offside law. Well, that's going to be tweaked a fair bit. And that uh, I was on a Zoom call with the Football Association of Ireland uh, last Tuesday evening. And these were some of the things that were discussed. Uh, we're waiting on clarification from UEFA on them, and we should know in the next uh, couple of weeks. All right, good. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we hope to get that. Uh, we hope to get that update uh, for the uh, exclusively for the podcast before it goes out to uh, the all, the all nations around the place. Jimmy, you know, give us an all exclusive on that one, would you? Yeah, well, <laughs> I like to do that. You know, well, you know, we 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 get regular updates from you with. Uh, and that because uh, the offside law is one of the laws that needs, you know, a serious look at. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's the most controversial law of all the laws uh, in, in the game of football. There's 17 laws in the game of football. I don't know whether you know that. 17? No. 17. Wow. Well, you wouldn't think it the way they're carrying on lately. In the 17 laws, we'll say law 12 can be the multitude of, you know, the things, the size of the pitch, you know, and all that type of thing. Uh, but referees say there's a nation law and that's common sense and all referees should apply it and ignore some of the actually written laws the and bureaucracy on the law and... well that's yeah that's the right word for it yeah, yeah. but look, um, it's fo football is changing so much so i go back in my day young days football was a sport you know everyone loved it as well now it's it's the biggest industry in the world it's money yeah. That's what it's about. And you see a player kissing a badge after scoring a goal. That damn kiss means nothing. You know, <laughs> uh, Not anymore. It could be another. It could be kissing, depending on how much you know the transfer market is. Yeah. That's the way it is. Unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Yeah. All right. Uh, look, Jimmy. Thanks very much. We'll uh, we'll finish up there until uh, next week, and uh, we'll we'll get your feedback on the Crystal Palace game and. Uh, Moving forward, we'll uh, hopefully get some of those uh, new rules that are coming out and uh, we can 
expose them to the world and, and see what they think of. My pleasure. I'm delighted to talk to you and uh, take care and look after Smarty. Oh, well, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye, Jimmy. Take it easy. Bye. 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Thank you for listening to another Otter Know Better podcast, the Independent Legion United podcast. You can engage with us via our socials on YouTube and Twitter at the address at Otter Know Better with your thoughts on the show or subjects you'd like us to discuss. You can even join us live and have your say while we're recording on our YouTube channel for the main weekly show and the Barati and Coke after match podcasts. With three years' worth of content you can listen back to, from interviews with former Leeds players and managers to Hollywood stars. Maybe choose carefully which match reviews to check out though. Remember to subscribe on whichever app you choose to follow us on.